Our speaker this hour is Trey Evans, and um, as we as we've been doing, reading from the um, the cheat sheet, as Dave uh, Chamberlain called it. Uh, Trey is the minister for the Gastonia Church of Christ in North Carolina in the Charlotte area. He's a native of Oklahoma City, came to us here at Bear Valley from Oklahoma City, from the North MacArthur congregation there. Uh, he earned his bachelor's degree here at Bear Valley, graduating in 2017. Uh, he is married to Danielle, and they have a son named Jeremiah good-looking boy who clearly gets his looks from Trey because Danielle still has her looks. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to I say something. In, in his earlier lesson this morning, uh, when Wayne Berger introduced Trey, he mentioned uh, how much Trey has grown spiritually, and, and that's true. I, I definitely agree with that. But there's another area where Trey has grown, and that is in his abilities. And, and I saw something in Trey when he was a student here that explains that, why he has grown so in his abilities. He wanted to. He wanted to get better. He wanted to learn how to be a song leader. He wanted to learn how to be a better preacher. And, and that's something that all of us should never lose, a desire to be better, a desire to know more about God's word, and a desire to learn better how to serve him, to deliver his uh, message and all of those things. And I see that in Trey. And, and um, uh, he had two years here. He had two years of internship in, at uh, the North MacArthur Congregation in Oklahoma City. Now he's been two years in Gastonia. And uh, we're just so proud of, of Trey. I'm proud of, of Trey. And I expect we're going to have a, a second great lesson from Trey today. Brother, come preach to us. Well, thank you, uh, Donnie, for that uh, <coughs> tear-dropping uh, introduction. I really appreciate that. <clears throat> we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse uh, number 23, uh, and then we're going to conclude in chapter 11 in verse number 1. <clears throat> with freedom comes great responsibility. But with our freedom as Christians, we must glorify God. And that is what Paul is getting ready to explain to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse number 23, all the way down to chapter 11 in verse number 1. Now, Paul is going to explain to the brethren how to properly use their freedom in verses 23 through 24. He deals with all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. In verses 25 through 26, he deals with Christians shopping in the meat market. In verses 27 through 30, he addresses Christians in social gatherings. And he then closes the letter by challenging the brethren to follow the example of Christ. Now, as a side note here before we jump into the text, let me just say this. Our Christian freedom is not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. Now, liberty in Christ means that we have been freed from the law of Moses and from sin and death. Therefore, our Christian liberty is not found in sin, it is found in Christ. Now, believe it or not, there are some church members who like to say things like, well, I have Christian liberty, I can do X, Y, and Z. Well, folks, that's not what Paul's talking about here. And those individuals will find themselves in sin 
misusing the text. You know, Paul also mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, what Paul is saying, do not gratify the flesh, but serve one another through love. You see, with our freedom in Christ, we must do what glorifies God, not self. And so Paul's main concern in this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23, is for the weaker brethren. He needed a stronger Christian to be considerate of those who still needed to mature in their faith. He didn't want them abusing their liberty by, by focusing on their own desires. And so what we're going to do in this lesson is we're going to do a verse-by-verse exegetical study on the Christian's freedom and glorifying God. I was asked twice that I have a PowerPoint, and I said, yes, I do, right here. So I encourage you to open up your Bibles if you're not already there. And we'll read 23 and 24. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. So Paul in these two verses warns the brethren about misusing their liberty in lawful things. He informs them that just because something may be permitted, it doesn't make it beneficial. In other words, there are some things that are not wise, some things that are not good, proper, or acceptable to God. Now, in the context of this verse, Paul is pointing back to chapter 8. In chapter 8, starting in verse number 4, Paul tells the brethren to take care of your liberty. Now, Paul speaks to them about eating meat sacrificed to idols. He then explains to them that there is no such thing as an idol in the mind of a Christian because there is no God but one. Now, the apostle then clarifies in chapter 8 that not all men have this knowledge and that there are some who eat meat while their consciences are being defiled, chapter 8 and verse 7. And he then concludes in verse number 8, but food will not condemn us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat nor the better if we do eat. Now, keep in mind, Paul is speaking to the stronger Christian during this context. And he tells the mature Christian in verse number 9 to take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weaker brethren. Paul warns the stronger brethren not to sin against Christ by causing your weaker brother or sister to stumble because you have the freedom. Folks, take care of your liberty in Christ. Now, when you jump over to verse 23, chapter 10. Paul addresses the same issue as he did in chapter 8. He wants the Christians to understand with freedom comes great responsibility. Certain things may be permissible, but does it edify? Does it build up the faith of your brother or sister in Christ? You know, the word edify in this passage means to cause to advance spiritually. Strong Christians during this time were called to edify weaker Christians by their behavior and not mislead them away from Christ but to him. Folks, let me just ask you this this, this afternoon. Does your behavior edify weaker brethren? The way you speak, the way you act, does that edify the weaker in faith? You know, there are some people who don't really care about any of that. 
Let's be honest. Because they're so focused on self, and we'll get to that here a little bit later. But they're so focused on self that they're not even worried about the weaker brother in Christ. They're not worried about helping the weaker brother mature and grow in their faith. And so Paul is going to address selfishness in the, next, in the same verse, as a matter of fact. Paul makes this point clear, my friends, in verse 24 about how the church is to be. You see, he condemns a form of behavior that is seen in the world, and, and that is selfishness. Folks, let me tell you, selfishness should have no business being in the place of the church. A self-seeking attitude will ruin the unity and the growth of a congregation. And every member in the church should have a deep concern for the spiritual well-being of others. Like I said, when you look at that word edify, it simply means to advance spiritually, to help an individual grow spiritually so they can be more like Christ. But selfishness will prevent anyone from growing closer to Christ. You know, after Paul carefully covers the matter at hand in verses 23 to 24, He's now ready to dive into an issue related to buying and eating meat. Now, how could Christians know with certainty that they were buying meat that was used for idol worship? The answer to that question is simple. They couldn't. They could not know if they were purchasing meat that had been previously used as an idol sacrifice. Now, Paul gives them instructions on what to do for the sake of their conscience. So when you look at verses 25 through 26, Paul says, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and wants to go, eat anything that is to be set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Now, Paul tells the Christian shoppers to eat wherever is sold in the shambles without raising any questions. And as I was studying, I had to ask myself, well, why would he say that? Why would Paul tell them not to ask questions? One author said it would be difficult, if not impossible, to know whether a particular piece of meat had or had not been offered to an idol. There is no point in pressing one's scruple in such a situation. To press the conscience would have driven them crazy. And Paul didn't want the brethren becoming irrational on an issue that would be difficult to answer. And I'm sure many of the brethren scratched their heads when they read this part of the letter. But as they continue to read, Paul gives them the reason why. Look at the next verse in 26. He explains to them why they did not need to ask questions. It's simple. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Psalm 24 and verse number 1. Now, the point Paul made in using Psalm 24 is great. Because even though doubts may arise as to what happened to the meat, the Christian was to see the bigger picture in all of this, and that is God makes it all right for them to eat. All things good come from the Lord, and there is no other source like him. Now, Paul is quite clear. Christians, go and buy and eat. Do not entertain 
matters of indifference. Understand that the earth is the Lord's and he is the true source of all you eat and buy. Now, this approach that Paul gave the Christians in Corinth prevented an array of problems. Have you ever been annoyed with someone who constantly asks questions about everything? And this is what Paul wanted the brethren to avoid. You see, by asking questions about everything, about meat being sacrificed to idols, this would have uh, some of the brethren were doing, but always asking about the meat in the meat market would have, been a, would have led them to have a bad reputation. They would have been labeled as bothersome and strange, which would have hurt their chances of sharing the gospel of Christ. Jack Malcolm said, asking too many questions can limit the transfer of information and the productivity of the conversation and foster a defense and even an uh, adversarial atmosphere. So Paul didn't want the brethren here to ruin their opportunity to share the gospel or cause a controversial argument over something that was pointless. Now, I couldn't agree more, my friends, with the statement that was read by Jack Malcolm because it applies perfectly to verse number 25. But now that Paul has gracefully informed the Christians on what to do when shopping, he transitions to another matter related to this topic. The subject that Paul is about to address in the next few verses has to do with Christians in social gatherings. So let's read verses 27 through 30. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not for your own conscience, but for the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks. Folks, let me tell you, I've never been to a, a gathering of people where there isn't any food. Uh, and, and if I were invited to a gathering where there is no food, I, I would kindly leave. Uh, because I'm expected to eat at a social gathering. But, but, but Paul is saying, every Christian, when you are invited, eat. Now, this lets me know that every Christian in this context has friends that are unbelievers. Now, Paul tells the, the Corinthians that if you get a personal invite to an unbeliever's home, go and eat and do not ask questions for the sake of one's conscience. Now, this is the exact same advice that he gave the brethren back in verse number 25, where he discusses purchasing meat in the food market. Now, in verse 28, Paul puts a twist on things. He writes, but if anyone says to you that... This meat is sacrificed to idols. Do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for conscience sake. You see, by eating meat sacrificed to idol, the strong Christian would have been endorsing their idolatrous beliefs, which would have been a sin. Paul makes it plain to the Corinthians. He says, do not eat. In the same verse, Paul gives, the, gives us the reason. For the sake of the one who offered it and for the sake of the weaker brother or sister in Christ. One commentator said, if a fellow Christian, one of the weak brethren, being scrupulous 
himself about such things that he ought to warn the others of what he chances to know, he is not to eat. Folks, let me tell you, it was imperative then and it is today for the Christians to watch their actions. Watch your behavior. Certain things we engage in may support evil. Now, it is important to note that in verse 27 and 28, these Christians had non-Christian friends. And Brad Price makes a great point when he says that first century disciples did not leave or abandon their unsaved friends. They did not always do what their non-Christian associates did, but Christians did not end all contact with the world. You see, today, fellowship with non-Christians is not only important, my friends, it is necessary. How can we evangelize the unsaved if we avoid them? Paul needed the stronger Christians to see the main point, and that was to sacrifice some of their liberties for the minds of the weaker brethren and for those who are unbelievers. Now, in verses 29 through 30, Paul expounds more about the weaker brethren. He writes, I mean not for your own conscience, but for other men. For why is my freedom judged by another conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Now, Paul makes it clear that this is not the conscience of the eater. He is writing specifically to the mature Christian in this verse, and he wants them to understand that with freedom comes great responsibility. The Christians during this moment was to consider the conscience of the weaker and abstain from eating meat. Now, if the strong exercised their liberty and ate meat, they would be in sin for causing the lesser brother or sister to stumble. Now, when it comes to verse 30, Paul says, it does not matter if you give thanks for the meat. you will still be slandered. Now, the word slandered can be translated as evil spoken of. Now, why would they still be slandered or denounced? Well, because they are seeking their own good and not the good of the brothers or sisters in Christ. Church, we see that today. Do we not? Members in the Lord's church seeking their own interest rather than the interest of our weaker brothers or sisters in Christ. Now this ties back, my friends, to, to 1 Corinthians 8 and verses 8 through 13. He mentions in verse 13 that, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now imagine if every Christian had this attitude embedded on their hearts. If X, Y, and Z caused my brother or sister in Christ to stumble, I'm not going to do it anymore. See, when you go back to the text and you look at verses 20, verse number 24 in chapter 10, Paul says, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor." Do you have that type of mentality when it comes to the church? You see, Paul is writing here to stronger Christians, more mature Christians in the faith. 
And there were some weaker brethren. And the stronger Christian was to give up some of their liberties, if you will, in order to glorify God. You see, Paul needed the strong Christians to respect the conscience of the weak and to set a Christ-like example for the lost. What kind of example are you setting for the brethren in the church today? What kind of example are you setting for the weaker Christians in the church today? What kind of example are you setting for the unbeliever? Folks, we have to keep these things in mind as Christians. Because with freedom comes great responsibility. And the great responsibility that we have is to make sure that our actions are not causing people to to fall away from Christ. But we need to make sure that our actions and what we're doing in this life as Christians are helping people get closer to Christ. You know, I'll share this with you. You know, growing up, I used to listen to certain music that was not good for my soul. And so when I would invite certain friends of mine to to go for a ride and, and, and we would go play basketball or go do other type of things like that, and some of my friends were, were unbelievers. And one day, one of my friends got in the car with me and he said, man, are you listening to this? And I said, yeah, what's wrong with it? He said, you're supposed to be a Christian. Why are you listening to that? And me not thinking, misusing the context, I said, I have Christian liberty. I have, I have freedom. Not knowing that my actions and what I was listening to had an effect on how he viewed me. Now, you think about that for a moment. There are some of us here this, this afternoon not knowing that our actions and the things that we say and certain things that we do, people are watching. There are Christians, young Christians, who need guidance and they need the mature Christian to step up and lead by example. But we can't do that if we're self-centered. And if we're not seeking the best interests of our neighbor. And when you look at that word neighbor, Paul is talking to about the weaker and the unbelieving. And that's why it is so important for us to be mindful of our behavior as Christians and what we do. Because with our freedom comes great responsibility. Now Paul in verse number 31 is still communicating to the strong brethren. He immediately shuts down their self-seeking mindset. Not everyone was on board with what Paul had to say. Some of the stronger Christians during this time viewed the weak brethren as ignorant, and the weak brethren considered the mature Christian to be hypocrites. Now, Paul says, whatever then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Folks, the principle is clear. The Christian should not be concerned about his own rights, 
but with the glory of God. This is what Paul was stressing to the brethren. By having a tender heart for the weak, they could bring glory to God. Paul, in the next verse, challenges the brethren to have a deep love for all. He mentions, give no offense, in verse 32, either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Now, the word offense means not leading others into sin by one's mode of life. This term, my friend, tells us that Christians can make decisions that negatively impact others, especially fellow fellow brothers or sisters in Christ. One preacher said that at the end of verse 32, the, the need to glorify God instead of create trouble in and out of the church is joined with three different groups of people. Notice what Paul says here in verse 32. He mentions the Jews, the Greeks, and the church of God. Now, the Jews refers to the unsaved. The Gentile applies to the unsaved Gentile, and the phrase church of God incorporates both saved Jews and saved Gentiles. Paul lays out three groups of individuals in this text, and it was the Christian's responsibility to set the best example possible. Folks, we must watch what we say and do in this life because our behavior can either push the unsaved away, and cause the weak to stumble. Paul then turns to himself in verse number 33. He says, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. Paul had a goal in mind when he had certain choices in life. His main objective was to edify and save as many people as he could. Is that your objective? Are you focused on edifying and saving as many people as you can in this life? You know, we tend to direct our focus on so many other things. We get distracted. And we put our focus and our attention and our time and our effort into work. To schooling, whatever you name it. But we forget about edifying and saving the lost. You see, Paul's purpose in using himself as an example was to show the Christians that he never compromised the liberty of others. He used his freedom to bring glory to God so that he could save men and help build up the church. One could honestly say that Paul was not about pleasing self. His life consisted of following in the example in the footsteps of Christ. In chapter 11 and verse 1, he He bids the brethren to follow his example as he followed Christ. Folks, Christ alone is the best model for Christians today. And by us following in his footsteps, we will have hearts that say, I'm going to glorify God and not self. Jesus was the most unselfish person who ever lived. He holds the title unselfish servant. 
Wouldn't it be great if people knew you for that? Man, that Louis, he's unselfish. He's a humble servant. He, he doesn't only think about himself. He's also thinking about the brethren. Wouldn't it be amazing if people knew you for that? Rather than that individual who's always gossiping. Bringing down the church. And leading people away by your actions. You see, Christ's ministry and his personal life reflected unselfishness. And the cross is ultimately our Lord's selflessness. One author mentioned that if there was ever a moment when Jesus had a right to think of only about himself, it was on the cross. But he wasn't thinking about himself on the cross. He was thinking about you. After all, what evil had he done to warrant the horrible mistreatment he experienced that day? Didn't do anything, but he had you in mind. How often do you have the brethren in mind? When was the last time you took a young Christian out for lunch? When was the last time you made a phone call to a weak brethren? When was the last time you sent an encouraging text to a weak brother? When was the last time you reached out to an unsaved individual? Or are you focused on self? I admire our Lord because we see him on the cross displaying unselfishness toward his persecutors. Even while suffering and in anguish, he was thinking about others. Think about that. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. What a mentality to have. You go down a few verses to 42 in Luke chapter 23. All on the cross, Jesus had the mindset, his on saving a man's soul. Notice the discussion. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Luke 23, 42. And Jesus says, today you shall be with me in paradise. What did Jesus do for himself on the cross? Can anyone answer that question for me? What did Jesus do for himself on the cross? Nothing. Our Lord unselfishly subjected himself to death for the salvation of the world. Unselfish servant, is that you? The church that is selfless has the mindset of our Lord. And Paul wanted the church in Corinth to have this mentality. Stop thinking about yourself because it's not about you. It's about the church. And Paul adopted that mentality. And his desire was for the brethren in Corinth to do the same. In church, we as God's people need to be committed to being selfless and consider ways we can edify others and bring glory to God. 
So I challenge you, including myself, when you go home today, write down ways you can edify and build up the brethren. Take it to the Lord in prayer and actually get to work. Folks, we know that there is work to be done in the kingdom. And edifying the brethren is one of those works. So all members of Christ must seek to live in a way where they are focused not on self but on building each other up. This means avoiding certain things that will cause a fellow Christian to fall back into sin. In other words, we should not ruin the consciences of our brothers or sisters in Christ just because we have the freedom to do something that may not violate our scruples. We should allow our freedom in Christ to bring glory to God. The only way this can be accomplished is by following in the footsteps of Jesus. He is the master servant, and by us adopting the mentality of serving, we will also be able to edify one another and help those who are lost become saved. Folks, never forget that with freedom comes great responsibility. Never forget that there are people out there watching how you behave and your actions can either push the unsaved individual away or cause a weaker brother in Christ to stumble. I hope and pray that we will take this lesson to heart, that we will find ways to edify and build each other up and be mindful of the way that we treat one another because with responsibility we've been given. We must take care of it. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we we thank you so much for what you do for us in this life and the example that Christ has set for us on the cross. Unselfish servant. I pray as Christians that we will emulate Jesus and his life. That we will not be so focused on ourselves, but focused on the body, edifying and building each other up. Because we know, Father, with freedom comes great responsibility. And I pray that we will take that to heart. We will find ways to edify, that we will find ways to glorify your name by the way we treat each other in this life. Thank you so much for all that you have done for us as individuals. May we show our gratitude toward you it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thank you. Thank you.